<laughs> so it is um, approximately after the holidays. Wink, wink. Um, hopefully everybody didn't uh, go too crazy off their diets. <laughs> <clears throat> it's interesting, like, people make New Year's resolutions, right? Mm, and, mm -hmm. Yeah, they say it's the worst time of the year to do it, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to exercise. Oh, it's snowing outside. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I get that. And again, I get the whole idea of it's a new year, but I think it depends on what you look at as a new year. For myself, I always look at my new year as my birthday. Oh, okay. So I always think that's, you know, the year I was born. So this is a time to start, you know, um, I always look at that as like a, a significant piece in terms of any shifts that I want to be making. Hmm. What I want this, this next say for me, it would be my, uh, by the time we're doing this recording, it'd be my 51st year. So that kind of freaks me out. <laughs> but, it, it gets worse. You know. <laughs> 40 was bad enough, but you know, when I turned, when I kind of hit that 50 you just don't kind of mind, you know, it, the wor I think the worst part is like, you tell someone how old you are and it used to be, they'd go, Oh really? Yeah. They don't say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> It's always a bit of a traumatic experience for me, so I kind of just trying to let it slide by without too much Don't thought. Worry and, about it. Yeah, no, it's just a number. <laughs> just a number. I think the thing that cracks me up though is uh, when people say, "Oh, seventy's the new 40. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely not. <laughs> I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah, see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what I encourage people to do in terms of, you know, New Year's resolutions, all of that. I Instead of, you know, I, I get that. And actually, that's a really good motivator for a lot of people to start, you know, start new and change their lifestyle. You know, the holidays are, you know, the Christmas is over and mm -hmm. um, it's a really good motivator for people to kind of start afresh. But what I find often that happens is that they kind of can start off enthusiastic and, yeah. you know, we get a, we get such a high percentage of people going to the gym within the first few weeks and then right. we started to see the population levels decline like right. really, really severely. Why is that? And it's because, you know, this is what we talk about when we talk about the term rapid relief in my practice. You know, it's only good so far, you know, this mm -hmm. is, you know, conventional medicine has really taught us about rapid relief treatments and, you know, just take a pill and pill, pill for an ill and have something be rectified pretty quickly without too much thought. And so we kind of can tend to have that same mentality when we go into trying to change our mm -hmm. lifestyle and trying to change our lives. Oh, I'm just going to start going to the gym every day. And this is coming from a person that maybe hasn't stepped in a gym or even done any form of yeah, movement right, for about right. 20 years. Yeah, it's not going to happen right away. It's not going to happen right away. And it's not going to happen when you throw so much at the body and you throw so much in terms of expectation of like, oh, and then you get mad at yourself. Oh, mm. I'm not able to, you know, motivate myself to go keep going. Maybe for the first week I was going like five days a week, but all of a sudden you start to decline. And why is that? Because it's not sustainable. So, yeah. you know, this is where that whole mentality, I think, might need, you know, might need to shift a little bit. And intend, instead of looking for something to happen really quickly all at once, we have to think about, okay, how long did it take to get us here? You yeah. know, it took us, you know, we're in our state of health after probably a few decades of being in this place, the same place of monotony and not, you know, and movement and poor diet and et cetera, et cetera. It's not going to be rectified overnight just because you start going to the gym yeah. five days a week. And if anything, yeah. that could actually throw too much stress on the body. Yeah. Yeah. You always want to go, yeah. always want to go nice and slow. I've noticed that when exactly. I, I start, you know, ah, I'm really gung ho about right. the whole making a big change. Yeah. And within three days, it's like, whoop, you know, threw my back out or something. Like right. That. Yeah. And I always like to look at it and remind people to look at it in the almost like in in the perception of their own body. How is their body receiving this? So mm. it's almost like if you can, I mean, our, us and our body are this, you know, we're one and the same. We're kind of inhabiting our bodies or our bodies inhabiting us, really. Um, so if we look at it in the perspective of the body, how is it receiving this information? How is it receiving these changes? How mm. is it receiving this food that it's bringing in? Yeah, so yeah, look go. at, change that perspective instead of getting out of our minds and getting into our bodies and say, how do, how do you think the body feels if after 20 years of inactivity, all of a sudden you start, you know, trying to jog, you know, five miles a day, 
you think that the body's going to actually be, you know, welcome and opening and actually be receiving of that? Or, or even stopping drinking, no. right? Like you you can't, they say you shouldn't stop like cold turkey because <clears throat> right. your body can actually go in, in a type of shock. A huge detox, yeah. so both, you know, emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. And so like with anything, and this is something I really do a lot um, of focus on in my practice is slow, like, yeah. uh you know, low and slow for everything, including any new thing that you're introduced to, that you introduce yourself to, yeah. low and slow, because we really want to assess how is our body going to react, because our mind can be ready for change really quickly, and can be like, okay, I make this decision, and I'm going to change, and I'm going to stop stop this, and I'm going to start this, um, I'm ready, I'm ready, in and the we're head. we're so used to everything being instantaneous. Right, yeah. but our heads and our minds are a lot quicker Mm -hmm. to make those shifts than our bodies are because our bodies are what hold all the emotions. Our bodies are what hold all the habits. Our bodies are what hold all the traumas. And so that is a little bit slower in terms of uh, moving out and making those changes. So a lot of times we can find ourselves self-sabotaging. Why do we self-sabotage? Because our mind, we're ready to go. We're ready for change. But we forget that oh, okay, we're maybe got to this place because we've been holding on to a lot of stored emotions, stored traumas, unacknowledged feelings, unacknowledged, you know, all sorts of things that might be happening there um, built over the years. Right. And that takes time to gently ease that out and ease out of that habit. You mm-hmm. know, so habits are not just in the mind, they're in our bodies too. Yeah. Right? I have more realistic goals for myself. Like yeah. last year I decided that, it was okay. It's okay for me to take two trips instead of one. So if I'm bringing all the groceries in mm-hmm. from the house, rather than trying to grab them all, even though it's gonna, maybe I'll drop something, it's like, I'll take two trips. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I'm, I'm able to yeah. do that. I do that all the time now. And exactly. my life is so much better. Exactly. You know? so. And we all have a, we all have different... <laughs> yeah, that's a good example. <laughs> but, but Everything it's... else in my life is perfect, so... <laughs> This is this is a great example, actually, because this shows, you know, everybody's got their own levels of ability of what is sustainable and manageable for them. Right. And for one person, it might be, you know, it might be, you know, when I started, I didn't necessarily start my my own personal health journey in a good way. You know, I kind of I was like, oh, I need I'm going to um, I'm going to start running every day and I'm going to run for like an hour a day. Yeah. You know, I mean, I hadn't run ever in my life. I'd just been doing yoga since I was like 16, but I, when I was 18 and I thought, you know, I'm going to start getting in shape, you know, and this all came out of a breakup. So not a good place to start <laughs> that whole journey. I'm going to change my body. I'm going to change my, Cut life. my hair. And, yeah. yeah. And I did that, all of that. And, uh, but I, like, I'm going to start change my body. And so I started running like every day and I hated it for like, it took about a year. <laughs> it took about a year before I got to a place where I was like, Oh, Okay, I'm actually starting to enjoy this. And then I actually had to modify and, you know, realize, okay, I don't have to be out here seven days a week. Oh, were you obsessive about it? You're running every day? Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge. It took a long time. I mean, that whole journey for me was all part of a bigger journey of, you know, um, real self-denial and self, you know, not treating myself very nicely. And, um, but that was that was part of it and it was like i didn't know how to do anything in a moderate way it was always just like full on yeah, yeah you know even the you know healing modalities i got into my own for my own healing were like very intense very like full on i never knew how to do anything gently yeah like how to be gentle with myself how to be slow with myself and that's mm. something that i've really feel grateful that i've developed that over the you know the last decade or so in a a much stronger way was actually learned and it took a long time i mean you know this is like 40 years down the road yeah but it took took a long time for me to get to a place where i'm like oh actually what's the way for me to actually get ahead and to and to really make these changes these long-term changes that i want to make and have them stick um is actually to give myself that space and to give myself a little bit of gentleness and not be pushing so much because sometimes we think the more the better. Yeah. You know, the stronger the more, you know, the better than the more that you can get done or the more that you no can pain, heal. No pain. Exactly. In <clears throat> every in any way, even your own healing work. And and that's sometimes that backfires on you because that's actually the 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 last thing you you actually need. You yeah. actually need a bit of space. You actually need to step back. You actually need to give yourself some uh room to breathe, really literally. 
And for me, I felt like it was actually harder for me to be gentle with myself than it was to push myself to actually go into things more intensely. This came at around mm. age 40. I think yeah. a lot, I've heard that from a lot of people too. I remember when I turned 40, somebody said to me, yeah. just like, oh, you're, you're, you're out of wandering in the desert. I'm like, mm. well, what do you mean? It's like, well, when you're 20 and 30, you're just kind of roaming around trying a bunch of different things. By the time you're 40, you're mm. kind of set in a certain way. Mm. And you're, you're, you realize you're, you're not old, but you're not mm. young anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like you, you look at life completely different. It's like, okay, what mm-hmm. do I really want to be doing here? Who do mm-hmm. I really want to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, for me, it actually, that was when I, when my, what I call, well, it's actually all been my, you know, true healing that's been happening throughout just in different ways. But I, I felt that that's actually when real shifts started happening around that time in, mm. in the sense of actually I was able to make more long lasting significant changes and things that I've been, you know, mentally struggling with. Like I had made, I had made these changes in my own life to, you know, better myself and to heal myself. But right. it wasn't until around that age where I felt like finally things started really shifting on a deeper level. Yeah. And I think it was just because I was in a different, different place or I felt like, you know, a lot of the things that I was, you know, obsessed with previously or, you know, uh, putting so much energy into were, I found them just not very significant anymore. Yeah, he'd been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. And it hadn't been working. So mm-hmm. why keep doing the same thing if it's not working? You know, we've got to do something different. <laughs> <laughs> so was this, sura- yeah. so yeah, you were talking about, so you, you went into holistic nutrition and then... Mm-hmm like almost right away or was it overlapping that you got into functional medicine too? Uh, yeah, I was still practicing nutrition mm-hmm. and, I, and I mean that was just been continuous for me, part of the, my whole modality. Um, it was about a year later um, after that I discovered that I actually... After you were done with the, after, tr- the training? Yeah. yeah, that I got into um, training for yeah. uh, found the school that I wanted to go to and, and start the schooling. And, um, and that was just, a, you know, compounded my practice. It just added to it. So what is functional medicine? <laughs> what is the, the yeah. definition of that? The 25 words or less, what would you, how would you describe mm. it? I think all of us could have, who practice functional medicine can have different, um, different terms for it or different descriptions of it. But for me, I really see it about helping. It's really about understanding um, what the body needs um, in its foundational roots and helping the body to rebalance by giving it what it needs and then uh, letting the body heal itself. So that's my, that's sort of my sort of clean cut description of it. That's, it's much more expensive than that, obviously, but really in essence, that's really the essence of what I do. Um, so I don't treat, I don't diagnose, um, but I really help somebody um, to understand how their body works and what could be underlying the underlying causes of what is making them not well. So, so what does the word function uh, relate to then in, in what, the way you just Functional? described it? Um, <clears throat> just means yeah. in practice. So it's basically, um, it's hard to describe in, in a term, but so I would say compared to conventional medicine. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, so conventional medicine is really, uh, really good at treatment. It's really good at diagnosis. So, you know, you go to your doctor and you have a set of symptoms and they do the lab work, they do the testing. They're, they're basically, their intention is to see if there's any, you know, diagnosable, um, you know, issue there. Um, very rarely do they ask the why. Uh, why do you have high blood pressure? Why do you have depression? Why do you have these gut issues? What's causing these things? They just see it as, is it diagnosable? You know, and if it's not, they, you know, uh, depending on the doctor, of course, you're going to have different kinds of doctors as mm-hmm. well who are with different levels of knowledge. Um, but for the most part, this is what they're, what they do is they, they look for disease um, dynamics um, and then they treat you know, and what form they treat in. So when somebody comes to see me, they can come to see me with the same exact issues. <clears throat> so, you know, I can have somebody coming to me and they have um, uh, high blood pressure, they have um, palpitations, they have, um, you know, stomach issues, digestion, they get dizzy spells, um, vertigo, all these sorts of things. So the difference in approach is that I will ask them all these 
get all the information in terms of their health history, but also ask them all these other things. What's happening in their lifestyle? What's their mm -hmm. stress levels like? What's their diet like? That doesn't often get asked in conventional medicine. Yeah, very rare. Yeah. Um, all these things I look at and I put them together and I feel like, oh, I start to make connections as to um, what could be the cause of this person's symptoms. You know, so it's not treating symptoms, but it's really learning. It's really about understanding that symptoms are just the body's way of communicating with you to tell you that something's not right. So something is needing assistance. Something mm. is basically your body doesn't have a way of communicating with you except through symptoms, right? Mm. So it's almost like it's, it's kind of yelling at you saying, hey, pay attention. Cool. Yeah. So it gives you a headache. It gives you a stomach ache to tell you something is not happy that it you've given it something that it's not happy with it gives you a headache because it's telling you i'm not happy because of something you know in my environment that um i'm not i'm not okay with and so your job is to investigate that and a lot of times we don't have that awareness or that connection maybe with our own selves and our own bodies to be able to make that connection of where that came from and so we're just used to taking a pill pill for yeah. no right well something like high blood pressure so that right. could, that is often a genetic thing right but it can be caused by poor diet and stress for sure yeah the genetic <clears throat> aspect is not something that um is very um it's not as important as most people think really okay. it's actually um really it's about uh 70 lifestyle or more um in terms of outcome of disease states um it's it's a a little bit of, of a factor, but not so much because, you know, we can be born with all these genetic, what I call genetic variants. A lot of people call them mutations. They're not really mutations. They're just variants. Mm -hmm. So one of the most popular ones is, say, MTHFR, which, um, you know, has been thrown around a lot in these circles, in these health circles these days as, you know, if you have MTHFR, you have to take folate because it prevents your body from absorbing folate properly. What, what is that? What is MTH? Uh, folate is vitamin B9. So what is that? MTH? What is that? MTHFR. It's just a genetic variant. Um, okay. it, it's basically uh, in charge of uh, allowing our bodies to utilize folate, vitamin B9, which is really important for red blood cell production, oh, okay. gotcha. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so a lot of people, there's a lot of articles. If you, you know, if you Google it, um, THFR, you do have this mutation and you have to start taking supplements. That's not necessarily so. So mm. I could have all these mutations um, that are in my genes, but whether or they're not, they're active or not, meaning are they, um, you can open and close, you can make them active or non-active. So it's almost like if you can imagine um, you're born with almost like predispositions for potential for something. So it right. could be just be a potential for something. But it takes a lifestyle choice for that to be active. So, for example, in my in my own when I did my own genetic uh, report, I have a whole host of genetic variants that are you know um, in my family because I have diabetes, I have you know obesity, I have high blood pressure, I have heart issues, I have cancer, all of that. Um, so far, so good. I got nothing. And why is that? And it's a lot of this is lifestyle. Yeah. So, so my lifestyle is like. Oh, very different from, say, my family in Chile's, you know, my family even here in North America. Um, very, very different. So I find even though I've come with this whole host of, you know, especially diabetes is a big one in my family. Um, my lifestyle has always been very different and my diet has always been very different com compared to my family. So I, I don't have I don't feel I have that risk, even though I come with all those variants. Right. So it really is, you know, it, it they can they can you know even if they're activated, meaning if even if they become active and start creating problems with you know some nutrient absorption is usually what they do um, when you have them active, um, they can close again. So mm -hmm. they can you know you change. This is why change in diet, a change in lifestyle can actually um, you can bring, make those dormant again in a sense. Right. right. So it's just a nature mm -hmm. nurture thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you can be born with things, but your environment will change. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, the whole genetic component of it is is a very small piece of the puzzle. It's mainly, you know, the, what determines the outcome of your health and wellness is really ultimately your choice and your lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I think they did a test once yeah. and just to decide or to see which was more important, nature, nurture. Mm -hmm. It was kind of 50-50. They said yeah. it kind of exactly what you're saying. Like, right. Yeah, you can be predisposed towards these things. Yeah. 
But if you're like off the chart with your eating or your drinking or something, right. yeah, expect diabetes. Expect right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I mean specifically even what we you're t- you were mentioning before with the high blood pressure, I see that more related to um, hydration and lack of salt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, in my experience with my own, you know, in my own clientele, uh, more than anything, you know, and, and it is unfortunate because there's, you know, a whole stigma around salt in the diet. I was just saying they like salt is, is you yeah. know, hypertension. Right? It's, it's almost like the, the devil, you know, for a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, healthcare practitioners who say, yeah. Oh, you got to go on a salt-free diet if you have high blood pressure. What I'm finding is actually the opposite. So I've actually worked with people with high blood pressure, and given them and told them drink salt or drink this salt mixture, mm-hmm. which I call sole water, um, and it's, um, it's something that's being used more and more. It's just a concentrated salt mix, and you just use like a teaspoon or two a day in your water. Helps to rehydrate your cells. Helps to give you those you know electrolytes that you need. But salt is so essential and Actually, lack of salt can give you high blood pressure. And this yeah, is something I've that not that, a lot yeah. of people are aware of. And so I've been able to work with, you know, the clients that I've had with high blood pressure and actually telling them, they're under the impression, oh, no, I, oh, I've been avoiding salt because of this. Um, and, and when I actually bring salt back into their diet, they're, they're, I've found that um, their blood pressure normalizes um, a lot of the time. So really? it's been... Um, very, very interesting just to observe that and to see the effectiveness of that. Um, and the more that I understand how hydration works and the more I understand how salt works in the body, how important it is, how essential it is, and how it's lacking um, in the good form. I mean, we get a lot of salt in a processed food diet, people who eat a lot of refined foods. Oh, yeah. When you look at the numbers on like a, yeah. a frozen meal, it's yeah. like 10 times what you need for the day. Exactly. So that's a that's a bit different. So in that case, you know, it's it's a matter of, well, it's the first step there is not to give more salt. The first step there is to really help to shift the diet into yeah. a whole foods diet. Yeah. And then to bring in natural salt because that makes a difference, you know. I know in my case when, when I uh, realized I had high blood pressure, uh, knowing that my dad had it, uh, my first thought was like, oh, okay, well, it's just genetic. There's not much that I can do. Mm-hmm. But as I kind of was sort of looking at my life and mm-hmm. my diet, there was a lot of room for improvement in diet. Mm-hmm. But my stressors around job mm-hmm. were, were were definitely the major factor because mm-hmm. it would take my blood pressure during certain times of the day. Yeah. And then when I left this one particularly stressful job, it just went, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's another thing, you know, it's, it's like the water, one thing, you know, when I was really learning about this myself, um, if you think about the, the, the stress, how stress affects your blood pressure, it's because uh, your adrenals are sitting right beside aldosterone, uh, or the production of aldosterone, which is um, a hormone that's created in the kidneys, uh, by the kidneys, um, and it's responsible for the water, for managing that balance of uh, water So the in adrenal, your body. in your adrenal glands, basically? Yeah. Because they it's, sit above the like, kidneys, right? It, yeah, yeah, right above the kidneys. And, um, and that gets affected by um, salt intake, but also it's, it's basically your adrenal, because it's so close to the adrenal system, um, it's very much regulated. Um, so a lot of people who are stressed um, can find they get the water retention. Mm. Um, they get the high blood pressure. Um, so because, you know, the, those kidneys sit right at like those adrenal glands sit like right so close to the kidneys, it, they're very much connected in terms of those symptoms that mm. can come together. Um, so giving salt, you actually are helping the body regulate that water balance a little bit better, which can take the stress off. Interesting. And um, this is a, a pretty remarkable effect I've seen with with people who come to me with you know, these kinds of um, water retention issues, but also high blood pressure issues and st- how stress is so affected. Um, so this is sort of a, this is a really good example then of functional medicine mm-hmm. taking a different approach than right. conventional med- right. medicine. Right, so we yeah. can easily, you know, start taking high blood pressure meds, yeah. but yeah. is there another the way? Yeah. You know, is there another way? And it's, you know, what's the other way? It's really by asking why, trying to understand what is the body trying to do? You know, and this is something that does not get asked enough. And this is what, you know, functional medicine does. It asks, what is the body trying to do? So even with something like diabetes, you know, you have high insulin instead of just saying, okay, well, insulin is an issue. This high insulin is an issue. We have to look at that. We have to treat that. Um, 
okay, it could be quite serious, but we have to ask, what is the body trying to do? You know, and why is it doing that? So what's going on that the body is trying to retain? Uh, basically what insulin does, it helps to, um, one of its main purposes is basically to store energy in the form of fat um, in the body. <clears throat> and so what is actually happening that led to that high insulin state? Um, trying to understand that and this is where when we can actually start to address that and look at that we can instead of just giving a metformin or giving a pill for that we can actually see where food where lifestyle changes can actually make a huge difference with that without you know and if at some point we need that medication because maybe those lifestyle changes and the diet changes are not working for various reasons um, sure, there's a place for medication. There's always a place for medication if needed, but it shouldn't be the first place we go to. And yeah. this is the mistake I've been, you know, this is a mistake I feel has been made is that's that's usually the first place that is gone before we actually look at, and it should be the other way around. It should be, um, unless you're actually dealing with something very, you know, life-threatening, obviously, then this is definitely a place where, you know, medication would definitely, you know, save a life. Um, that's a different story. But when we're talking about chronic illness like this, this is something that, you know, it's chronic for a reason. It's chronic because it's been going on for a long time. If you just look at that definition, yeah, you yeah. know, there, what there's something that the body's been exposed to continuous, continuous, ongoing, ongoing. When you, you also have to sort of look yeah. at people's dietary habits in the last, let's just say 50 years or so mm -hmm. and correlate that with the rise of diabetes and obesity. Mm. It's like, pretty mm -hmm. obvious right pretty obviously con connection obvious but not easy to accept because then you know if we really have to start to look at that a lot of this can be due to our own choices mm -hmm. you know and and it's and sometimes it's hard for people to look at that and accept that and take responsibility for that because it takes work it's going to take yeah, them change yeah. change and work and sometimes that's scary because especially if they become really dependent on um a certain you know eating a certain way because it brings them comfort because it's something that is is good for them maybe they're using that type of food that's you know not necessarily good for them but they're using it as a form of avoidance so they're a, a form of distraction from looking at you know uh things that they don't want to look at in their life. Um, if we tell them, okay, things need to change, that's a scary place because, you know, a lot of times I find, you know, what's the obstacle for people to make these changes, even if they know it, they need to because it's, you know, their health is in jeopardy. It could be a lot of things, right? Like right. your family, or yeah. just your culture, whatever it may be. Yeah. But I find a lot of times it's because it's safer for them to stay it, 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 the whole safety aspect is big mm. it's safer them for them to stay in their habits it's safer for them to stay with what they know than it is to give that up because what's the the other option is to make a change and then you have an unknown mm. unknown expansion that happens that you don't know what that other side looks like even though you know that it could be good health on the other side of that but what does that mean they're gonna have to actually give up a lot that a lot of things that they're used to that they know is not necessarily good that could be causing them harm but they it's familiar so it's a big psychological component it i sounds think like. so that's that's i really do feel that i really do feel that for you know in a large in a large percentage of you know um health issues it, it is very much psychologically emotionally based um not the whole picture of course but that's sure. a big piece i think that gets overlooked a lot um because you know habits are not just habits um it's not we just don't just become addicted to things just because of the substance which is why you know somebody can one person can have a drink and become an alcoholic and one person can have a drink and leave it and never drink for another five years and they're fine mm -hmm. you know what else is happening it's not the actual substance it's what's happening behind the scenes and you know this is the whole this is the whole argument, or you know, that's going around with uh, drug addiction right now. You know, it's uh, this is what Gabor Mate talks a lot about. You know, which I I love his work because he really is is diving deep into that. You know, it's it's not 
you know, it's not the actual substance so much. It's actually what's happening with the trauma, what's happening with the emotional state of the person. Is that sort of the core of his work, would you say? Uh, at least from what I've, uh, what, I'm, what I've read um, and what I've heard him, when I've heard him speak, that seems to be um, a lot of what he focuses on. So, um, but he's doing fantastic work around yeah. that. You know, it's a long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you would you would never hear that in doctors. Oh, I have a pretty good doctor. He'll he will get into a little bit of nutrition and mm -hmm. ask me some questions like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm usually the one that's sort of offering up mm -hmm. the you know, maybe the emotional or psychological piece. It would just mm -hmm. never come up. Right. You know, I, I'm the one saying you know, oh, my job is really stressful right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how. Um, I'm not sure how open a lot of you know doctors are to receiving that in terms of being the basis of your health outcome. So you know you can come to them with you know the high blood pressure and all these other issues, and I'm not sure how many doctors are out there willing to kind of connect those two. That yeah. is in terms of the importance of it. So, um, so you're someone that you have high blood pressure, and mm -hmm. then you go to your doctor and he gives some pills, mm -hmm. and you would come to you, and then what would you have me do? You know, for example, if you're already on medications, yeah. um, depends on if you have a desire to get off your medications or not. And if not, then that's okay too. Yeah, I've known people that have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's okay too. I mean, I, I work with people regardless of whether they're on medications or not. And that just takes some communication with their, you know, with their practitioner, um, just to ensure that, you know, whatever I recommend is, oh, is so you okay. work in tandem yeah um sometimes if it's needed yeah if i need to consult with them about you know specific uh plan that i have or are they pretty open sure. to that the doctors you've worked with uh well in I've, I've run into a bit of a struggle when i'm trying to recommend certain lab work for the client and i yeah, sure. i've written a few letters to uh, my clients's um doctors um describing you know the tests that i recommend and why i recommend them um, why I feel they're necessary. Yeah, they don't. And uh, yeah, sure. fifty percent of the time they they agree, but fifty percent they say no, it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I, I let my client know that that's that's likely what's going to happen. And so sometimes if I get actually, you know, a client coming back and saying, "Oh, my doctors agree to all of this," and I I just I'm shocked. I'm happily shocked. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I've, I've actually fantastic. recommended tests for my doctor. I said, "Hey, mm. can, can we try this one? You know, can we just I just want, I would like to know mm. what these numbers are. Mm -hmm. I haven't run a cholesterol test in a while. Can we right. do that?" And he's like, "Sure." That's great. I mean, yeah, Canadian yeah. healthcare is obviously a little different if you're listening in the states. But, yeah, it can yeah. be. It can vary depending on you know what kind of doctor you have. Mm -hmm. um, some people like myself, don't have much, um, don't have a lot of, um, um, a lot of luck in that area. Of, Do you have a doctor uh, here on the island? Because that's a big issue. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so at least you have that or something. But sometimes it's been a, it's been a bit of a challenge to um, ask for what I need and, um, Oh, they see you coming in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's the functional medicine. Uh, um, <coughs> excuse me. And I have had that challenge with, you know, some of my clients have come back to me frustrated because their doctor just feels, you know, so that's part of the, that's part of the frustration. But I, you know, I also let them know that it's, it's not absolutely necessary that we have their, if they're not able to get what they, what they, what they, what I recommend, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, in my first few years of my practice, when I was just a nutritionist, I didn't actually work with lab work. So I just worked with food and I worked with supplements when needed. Um, so it, it is very helpful just as a confirmation and to get a deeper understanding as to what's happening in a person's body. Mm -hmm. Um, but like anything, you know, the lab work, especially blood work, is very, um, it's a moment in time. It's transient. It's yes, not like exactly. in stone. Mm -hmm. um, your blood work can change. Like, Things you know, change, yeah. red blood cells change, you know, within three months. It's like a whole turnover. And um, lots of other markers, like white blood cells, can change pretty quickly. The liver is, um, re has regenerative properties. There. Exactly. So there's a lot of, you know, things that are, you know, so something if you, you get your blood work back and you think, you kind of think that's like a stamp of, you know, um, permanent stamp on your, you know, your life and you right. think that's it. But then I have to remind them it's like, it's, it's okay. You know, it's like, it could be, you know, maybe you just came from a, 
did you just come from a, a stressful time that all of a sudden, you know, your lab work looks quite different? And there's often there's there's debate within the scientific community with the, mm. the, the regular medicine community themselves, mm. like, like what your kidney uh, numbers mean. Mm -hmm. Like you say, oh, that, that's really way too low. It's like, well, for your age is actually kind of mm. good because, mm. yeah, the, the numbers should decrease. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and other people would say, oh, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. There's a baseline that's regardless of age. The reference range, which is really just, um, I mean, it's a standard by a lot of these um, uh, markers are based on. Uh, reference range just means it's basically the average norm of the population. So it by no means means um, that it's an optimal place you want to be necessarily. Right, right. Um, so if you, you know, the reference range in a place, you know, if you go to a doctor in a place like Texas, yeah. Where you know you got a lar large population that's obese there, um, the reference range is going to look quite different than say in Canada, where maybe you have a bit of a healthier population. <clears throat> so it's going to look quite different. So you don't necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily a good thing to be in their reference range, you know, which basically is like the average norm of that that particular population. Yeah, sort of grading by on the curve. Yeah. It's pretty much that, and it, and some of the reference ranges, you know, range from say five to a hundred, which is quite a large, hmm. you know, span. And so this is a place where, you know, you can be within that reference range and not be diagnosable. Sure. But it doesn't mean that there's not an imbalance happening. Yeah, so, right, right. Um, and when, you know, when I was uh, starting to study functional medicine, this is one of the big things that we learned is how to actually look at blood work and not, we're not looking at it to be, to diagnose, we're not looking at it to, you know, say you have this disease state, you have that disease state. We're looking for it to assess if there's an imbalance. And so we look at where in the reference range are you? Are you like, say if the reference range is 5 to 100, you're at 6. That tells me a lot. That tells me that you're likely, you know, is this a marker that's going to give me um, um, a nutrient status of some sort? Because it takes a nutrient to make this particular marker mm. so for example uh there's a marker <clears throat> common uh liver marker called ggt um if that marker is uh on the low end that tells me there's a possibility for a b6 deficiency because b6 is what's needed to make that enzyme in the first place and you were talking about that you, you had your own deficiency in that right? exactly yeah. yeah so and this is a place where if you follow within that range anywhere within that range you're not necessarily going to be told there's a problem by your pcp you're going to be you know maybe say okay all's good and i get this a lot I get this, uh, you know, a lot of clients, new clients that come to me with their lab, lab work and they say, oh, I've been told I've been okay. I'm okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong. Everything's normal. And I always ask for their copy just so I can take a look and I see, okay, what does that mean? What does normal mean? And this is where I can spot a lot of imbalances already occurring. And so my job is to help that person get their bodies back into balance, see what's missing see what might be missing, see what might be an excess, see what might be um, stressing the body um, that's preventing, you know, optimal health from mm. occurring. Get to, get them to a place where they can actually start to rebalance so they don't become diagnosable, so they don't, you know, it doesn't, they don't get to that place. So a lot of this is prevention, is work as a, is on prevention. Um, so is this, um, did you learn the lab work and how, how to read uh, mm -hmm. the, these results uh, at the functional medicine yes. school? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's ongoing. It's 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 constantly ongoing because there's um, you know, there's always new things to learn. There's always uh, new information coming out. There's always you know change of information that happens. So yeah. some a few things that you know this is the nature of science. You know we and you start. Kind of, I'm starting to see it mm -hmm. sort of seep into to traditional medicine. Some of the same ideas that mm -hmm. you know wellness isn't just. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, lab work, no, <laughs> Life, no. lifestyle and, and diet are like just as important. Yeah. If anything, that's, um, that's always the most important piece that I always start with. Mm -hmm. You know, I always start with what are you eating and how much water are you drinking? Those two things. That's what starts me with everybody. It's not, you, you know, even somebody who comes to me with all these issues, you know, they could be having, you know, uh, multiple symptoms, multiple diagnoses, you know, sometimes really severe diagnoses. Um, where do I start with everybody? And why do I start there? Because these are the foundational pieces that I always see are always lacking, mm. always lacking. 
Um, and if those foundational pieces, and that's by that I mean what those those pieces of the puzzle that the body needs in terms of building its house so always starting i think we discussed this from um uh earlier of it's i look at it as like building a house you know from the bottom up and so if you don't have a really strong foundation in place um any of those fancy doors and fancy roofs that you build are not going to stand as long as that foundation so for me the foundation is you know the good hydration the good food good digestion um, some type of stress management there. Um, so those pieces need to be in place, especially the food and the hydration. So if we get to a place where we're high up on the ladder of all these dysfunction and all this imbalances and diagnoses and disease states, you know, quite often I see that there's been a place that's been skipped or a place that's not being paid attention to in terms sure. of foundational needs. Yeah body's not being supported in some way so i always go back to square one and i start there and a lot of times that means starting with hydration starting with um changing shifting their food choices around to get to more real food diet real food not packaged food <laughs> i always look at stress because i know that if i'm yeah. you know something's going on in my body it's like yeah, what's the stress thing that's happening in my life right now yeah and, or it's, it's time to sit down and meditate yeah I had another question for you. This is a little bit of a tangent, but mm-hmm. I remember hearing something years ago, like the food that grows in a particular part of, of the world, like there's a lot of oranges in Florida, for example. Like it, it's sort of, the, it's like the earth saying here, you should, you need to eat this type of food if you live here mm-hmm. because you'll you'll be depleted in vitamin C or something like that. Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever heard something similar to that? I haven't. But, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. thought. Like, you know, there's a lot of salmon up here, for mm-hmm. example. Um, you know, does that have something to do with the way that, you know, we have longer winters here and, mm. and uh, you know, longer days during the summer? Right. I don't know. There, I think there's a connection there. You know? That's an interesting concept, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in, you know, it's not it's not the same, but um, seasonal eating. Yeah. You know, oh, eating yeah. Eating what's in season. Sure. So, you know, I, and I find that even in my own body, like I really uh, have no desire to eat raw fruit, raw fruit in the winter, mm. you know, that just doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. But naturally in the summer, when the warmer weather comes, I feel, oh, yeah. well, I'm going to have some pineapple, I'm going to have some melon or something, <laughs> but no desire whatsoever. Well, it's for... not available even if you want it now anyway. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But even things like, uh, you know, apples or bananas, which are available year round, I just feel like, no, my body just, oh, really? oh, I need bananas just, all just the likes time. warm you know, hot foods. People are really like, uh, you know, they go off on like juicing tangents, right? Mm, mm-hmm. what's, what's your opinion on that? I, my my understanding is, what do they say? You should eat your fruit, but you can juice your vegetables. Because <laughs> there's something about when you juice the vegetables, you're losing a lot of, I think, the enzymes and a lot of the important stuff. That um, You're losing a lot of the fiber. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, mixed opinions on juicing, like anything. I think there's a time and place that possibly, you know, benefits for sure. Um, and it's also individual depending on the person. I don't think it's for everybody. Yes. I mean, some people I can see where maybe you, you, you know, have a small period where you do it or you add it to your diet. as mm-hmm. just a supplemental thing. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, this living mm-hmm. in Vancouver. Right. They just they just live off juicing. Right. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the idea of vegetable juicing more than fruit juicing, mm-hmm. um, just because um, I do, I mean, I, I, I use a green powder myself. Yeah, I don't have yeah. a juicer at home, but I do use a, a really good greens powder. That which, I, which one do you use? Uh, I use one by uh, a brand called North Coast Naturals. Okay. It's a Canadian brand, and it's uh, just the one that actually I find that I can actually, does not taste disgusting. <laughs> oh, I am. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the taste of them. Yeah. There's green plus plus, right? Or green plus. Do you know that one? I used to use that one. I just cannot. I cannot. <laughs> yeah. I cannot taste the guy that who one. who invented that, or yeah. it was like one of the first ones yeah. out there. He lives on the island. Yeah, yeah, I know okay. him. Yeah, yeah Sam. So, um, Interesting character. It's a fantastic product. It's so full of just full of nutrients and yeah. good stuff. Um, I just, um, it's one that I just couldn't find palatable at all. Well, what do you mix it with usually? I just use water, which is probably the mistake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to use yeah. like uh, almond milk or something. Yeah, no, um, yeah. but I really like this North Coast Naturals. It's called, um, I think it's just called Green, 
can I remember what I recommended it to all my colleagues, but um, it's a it's their main greens powder, and I like it because it actually tastes good in water. Yeah, and actually can drink it down, and it tastes like a really you know it can taste a little bit of the greens in it, but it's um it's actually one that I found really pleasant. Yeah, I try to do that every day if I can. Yeah, remember. yeah, yeah. Because it's 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 really hard to get vegetables in me. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the way I was born or oh, raised. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't have much of that problem, but um. Now, the fruit juicing is a different story. Um, I don't generally, it's not something I generally, like, recommend. Um, and you're missing out, like, eating an apple? I mean, there's it's a, it's a visceral a fiber, event, but, yeah. But also, you're getting a big, um, when you take out the fiber in fruit, you're getting just pretty much straight sugar mm. real quickly into your bloodstream. Sure. Um, so it's it's helpful for somebody who actually maybe have some issues with their digestion but still needs some calories still needs some nutrient intake that's not going to stress out their you know their their digestive system too yeah, bad yeah. um i can see in that case that you know it might be helpful in that way but for the general population um i don't think it's needed just because most of us are quite sedent- sedentary um maybe in the old days when we were working and you the know, farm 18 hours a day. Yeah, right? exactly. Then we kind of needed more of that sustained sugar intake um, that could come in the form of fruit. Uh, fruit juice is a really quick energy source. Uh, for most of us, we're not, we're, we don't have a nine to five job. We're not really moving around a lot unless we do like real labor work. Um, so it really depends on the person. Um, but for the most part, I don't necessarily think it's a great idea just to do straight fruit juices. Um, but again, vegetable juices, just because they tend to be, you know, much lower in sugar, uh, really high in antioxidant, um, oh, and you get a lot of nutrients. things that you would have to just eat, like all of these different types of right. vegetables. Yeah. Right. Um, better even if you want to do that sort of thing to just have the whole fruit, have the whole vegetable, put it in a blender, yeah. do it as a smoothie, uh, much better. Cause that's then you're true. getting more of the benefit of the fibers and yeah. all the good stuff in there. Um, Anything that's less refined is just better, um, meaning less refined, meaning more in its whole food state. Right, right. Um, is is much more recognized by the body. The body's not going to be like, well, where's the rest of it? If you just take the juice, it's sort of going to be left hanging like, okay, where's the rest of it? And it knows. I mean, the body's smart. <laughs> I really believe that. Did you ever use a couple of years ago, yeah. maybe four years ago now? And this, I think it was in Silicon Valley. Someone invented this drink. And they're saying, you can just, this is all you need to drink all day. Mm. You just kind of suck on it throughout the day. Do you remember oh, that? Boy. No. Oh. <laughs> and it was so, like, as like I knew right away when I read this story, I was like, there, these people are going to have so many health issues down the line. And sure enough, people stopped doing it. But the idea was, yeah, man, you don't need to leave your desk. You can keep making code all day. You don't need to go oh, to gosh. lunch. Just suck on this stuff. It and sounds it was, like a oh. joke that I wasn't even sure was a real thing and yeah. that people used to joke about. Uh, a product called Soylent Green. Yeah, it was, there were jokes about that too. And that was sort of like a Star Wars type of idea. Well, they were using yeah. human bodies. Did you know? Oh, That's no. That's the story, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, at the end of the movie, Charlton Heston goes, Soylent Green is people. Yikes. Okay, well, no, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that part. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I'll have to look up the name. I actually think it had Soylent in because the, they were kind of giving a wink oh. to the movie. So what about um so it's it's we're in the winter months here. What are good things mm-hmm. to just sort of add to your diet? Like is ginger a good thing? I've, oh, I've heard yeah. That. yeah. Ginger yeah. is one of my favorites. It's very yeah. warming. It's very very good for digestion. And what type um, of ways would you take that? Like get some uh, ginger and raw ginger, just, just peel chop, it and just chop uh, on it. Chop it up into really small bits or however. It's hard to we just you know, try and just chop it up into little bits as much as possible. You could have it as a tea. Yeah, I do that. Yeah. Um, when you're sick, it's really good for nausea. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime, like if you have the flu, um, and you can't really, you know, stomach anything, any solids down. It's really good for. Yeah, people of, that take ginger ale, right? Just right. That, it does work. Of, right. Of all the things. Um, throw it into your food. Throw it into your stir fries. You know, um, uh, garlic is another one. Is a you know big important one. This time of year, we make fire cider at home. So we with horseradish and oh, wow. you know, garlic and ginger and <laughs> vinegar. Really clear out the sinuses. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I've been taking it every day because I've had a cold this last week. Yeah. So. Uh, well, what is it about ginger then that that's sort of um, beneficial? In, it's very warming. Is that so what it is? So it's very like warming. It, it helps the circulation. It helps gotcha. kind of uh, bring blood flow. 
um, both to the digestive tract, but also circuit, you know, in their circulation. So good for circulation issues. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just very soothing as well, but just kind of stimulating at the same time. And garlic is really good for the immune system as well. Really good for the immune system. It's, yep. it's actually known as one of the top, um, natural antibiotics. So it, they've done quite extensive studies on garlic actually, that's been shown to be just as effective as, um, uh, actual, medicine like antibiotics yeah um, i know whenever i feel like i'm gonna get in, getting right. sick i put some uh, garlic toast and away mm -hmm. i go yeah mm -hmm. I, and I, I use probably way too much yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no it's a it's a pretty phenomenal um herb that you can use even for any type of uh, bacteria yeah uh especially gut issues any type of bacterial overgrowth that you have um I've used it quite a bit in my own practice and just in my own my own natural health as well, my own uh, issues for dealing with things like bacterial overgrowth. Um, it's uh, it's pretty effective, and you can use it topically as well if you have any type of um, fungal. You don't have any friends, but you yeah, can. yeah, topically as uh, um, you could use it on your feet for fungal issues. Really, okay. You can do like a garlic soak, or even just rub it in. Um, Gar rub it on garlic the, soap is that what you said rub it into your feet <laughs> yeah you're not going to want neighbors around too close at that time yeah. but it works quite well and um, you can even rub the bottom of your feet with it um, and that um, it does something when you put when you put substances on the bottom of your feet and I heard this from a aromatherapist friend of mine many years ago who said rub some peppermint oil on your feet and see what happens. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. It's crazy. It actually goes all the way up to your sinuses and clears your sinuses. Um at least it did for me. It did that trick and I've done, I've tried it a few times with a friend few friends and they've And they've garlic all, is the same way. It goes right up. It to actually it does it actually can get into your system systemically somehow. I have, I don't have the science behind that. <laughs> I was gonna say you might wanna <laughs> don't don't tell your your uh, you know regular doctor about that one. No, no yeah. But it it's uh it's it's very interesting tests that you can try, you know, yeah. to rub some essential oils on your feet when you're not feeling well or you've got a cold or congestion. And um to see how it happens and it's harmless and yeah. fairly harmless <laughs> I, used to, I used to eat garlic all yeah. the time like every yeah. day and but it's really it's kind of hard on the stomach right it can be yeah it can be for some people depends and it can also uh, this one of the main um maybe cautions to use is if you already have low blood pressure mm -hmm. it is a blood thinner so it can bring your blood pressure down oh a little garlic bit. is a blood thinner yeah oh, so um okay. i know i have I, I have a tendency for low blood pressure and i know one time um I ate a meal with really high amounts of garlic, natural yep. garlic in there, and I got kind of woozy and dizzy after, and I didn't make that connection until later. And I oh. Thought, oh, I wonder if that's that's what that was. Um, and uh, so it does have that tendency to do that, but for the most part, it's really a, you know, a safe herb, definitely. Yeah, it's really tasty. Well, good, good. I think this is a good uh, introduction to functional medicine, and, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll take a deeper dive uh, next time. All right, sounds good. Cool, thank you. Thank you.